You're listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney from the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Welcome back. We are visiting this full hour, I'm delighted to say, with Gordon Chang. He contributes mightily both to our understanding of the challenge of our time, namely the rising assertiveness, aggressiveness, belligerence even, of the Chinese Communist Party. But he also helps us understand what we must do to try to counteract this growing danger. Gordon, uh, I had to interrupt you because of the hard break, but um, finish your thought about how we need greater clarity about the Chinese agenda and its implications, not just for this country, but really for the entire world. We were talking about how Blinken is unable to talk about China's ambitions to overthrow the existing Westphalian system. This is really part of a broader problem in America where we're not uh, talking about China in realistic terms. The president looks at China as a competitor. Well, it is more than just a competitor. And it's even more than just an adversary. It is an enemy. And, and we know this, as you referred to, because People's Daily in May 2019 actually carried a piece that declared a people's war on the U.S. Remember, People's Daily is official. It is the most authoritative publication in China. And this piece on people's war was not isolated because during that month, there were two other pieces that spoke about the U.S. in similarly militant terms. So we can't um, deal with an enemy if we're not able to say its name. And that's an issue. For instance, we had the Secretary of Defense recently talk about uh, defending America. In in his speech, um, General Austin didn't mention China. He didn't mention North Korea by name. Um, I, I don't know how you um, deal with these issues if you can't say the name of the enemy. I think we've tested this proposition now for most of the past 20 years, in fact, uh, vis-a-vis various Islamist adversaries. And uh, we've seen this doesn't work. Uh, It uh, not only leaves you ill-equipped to deal with them, but it emboldens them to believe that they can have their way with you. And that is certainly true in spades of uh, a vastly greater danger in uh, communist China. Which brings me, Gordon, to other things that we are being increasingly on notice about in terms of enabling all of this. I'd like to turn to economic warfare and what the Chinese Communist Party has been doing, really going back to to Deng Xiaoping's time, I think in the early 1990s, to position themselves to essentially exploit us to empower them. Um, the capital markets penetration by China is one example of this. Talk a little bit about what we've learned in terms of how the Chinese have used our money, pension funds, mutual funds, exchange funds, uh, the like, uh, index funds, to essentially enable much of the danger that they now pose to us. Uh, Of course, China has welcomed foreign money into uh, China in in its markets. And this is just part of a broader initiative because it also involves trade and technical cooperation and all the rest of it. The, The broad point here is that China's system, even the system today, is unsustainable. And it's actually becoming increasingly unsustainable as Chinese ruler Xi Jinping takes China back to its state model, which was familiar under Mao Zedong. 
Um, so really what they need is they need foreign money continually to prop the system up and to keep it going. And the primary way to do this is encouraging trade and investment into China's markets. So um, they've been very successful in that. They've persuaded presidents of both parties. They've persuaded liberals and conservatives that this is the way that the United States needs to go. And even the phase one trade deal of um, the uh, January 15th of uh, 2019, uh, uh, sorry, 2020, um, it has provisions um, that uh, China promises to open up its capital markets further. And, and this really was at the behest of Wall Street. So they were very effective in marshalling their Wall Street allies. One other point, Frank, um, everyone has heard about that uh, rant from uh, Chinese academic Di Dongsheng of November 28th of last year, where he talks about how China can determine outcomes at the highest level of the political system. He was welcoming the return of the Biden administration because he was saying that during the Trump years, that their connection to the White House through Wall Street had been broken, um, and that they were looking forward to a resumption of that under the new president. Well, that's exactly what's happening here, um, because we had some Trump initiatives to start to stop the flow of money into China's capital markets. Um, those have been put on hold, and they're under review, and we're going to have to see what's going to happen, because uh, the Biden administration is now looking at what it's going to do with those capital market rules. So this is the time for us to make some noise. Amen. I understand there was something like $4.4 billion worth of um, IPOs brought to Chinese IPOs brought to the U.S. market in the first quarter of this year. And the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission is apparently looking at sort of deferring action on requiring uh, the Chinese companies in our markets to meet our the same account standards American companies have to uh, uh, abide by. This is a subject of uh, a law that was unanimously adopted uh, last year, as you know, Gordon, and it's uh, it's heart-wrenching to see these efforts made by the executive branch on the one hand and uh, the regulators on the other uh, to backslide on this important principle that the Chinese ought to be, if they're in our capital markets, they ought to be held to the same standards as American companies. And more to the point, they really shouldn't be in our capital markets, period, especially these People's Liberation Army companies. But Gordon, they are there and they are getting money out of us. The some estimates are that they've gotten $3 trillion um, out uh, since Joe Biden negotiated a deal that enabled the Chinese to have less robust uh, accounting requirements than uh, than their American competitors back in 2013. Um, and I'd, I'd like to turn, if I can, to some of the things that they're doing with that money. And I, I mentioned one a moment ago, Gordon, and that was this so-called Belt and Road Initiative of Xi Jinping. I'd talk a little bit about what that project envisions and how it is progressing. In 2013, Xi Jinping announced two initiatives, a Belt and a Road, which have since been combined. Both of them are meant to connect China to Europe, and they've been expanded to the rest of the world. And they're even talking about uh, polar silk road, um, Arctic silk road. Uh, so really what this is an attempt to build infrastructure that the private sector uh, wasn't willing to build. And um, so because of that, um, many of these projects are uneconomic. Uh, some of them are failing. Countries have not been able to pay back debt to China. 
and that debt has been extended under secretive and onerous terms. Um, this has geopolitical implications because, for instance, Djibouti in the Horn of Africa is in debt to China. And that is where China has located its first and so far only offshore military base. Um, I mentioned that because um, there is an, a two uneconomic projects in the Bahamas, one in the Abaco Islands and the other in Freeport. These are uh, port projects. Um, they really don't have very much uh, prospect of actually uh, generating revenue and paying back China. And we could end up with a Chinese naval base less than 90 miles from the Florida coast. That would be Freeport. So this is a um, project that has military implications. And although uh, China right now um, is straining uh, under Belt and Road, nonetheless, it's continuing because it does see the ability to extend military um, presence around the world because of these Belt and Road projects. And again, it may be straining, um, but it may also be underwriting such uneconomic activities with help from our own Wall Street. And as you say, Gordon, uh, whether it's uh, uh, Djibouti or whether it's Freeport or whether it's you know uh, Pakistani or um, South China Sea um, facilities, they all have a dual use potential at the very minimum, if not uh, you know overtly and from the get-go. And that's what's so concerning to me about this is that um, you're absolutely right. They're building out this global, I would say, colonial infrastructure, but it also clearly seems designed to give them power projection options, um, literally globally now, um, from Latin America to the Arctic to uh, you know, Southeast Asia and, and literally around the globe, um, where they're running into difficulties, um, to some extent, company, uh, countries simply not being able to repay um, these payday loans or uh, beginning to bridle at the kind of uh, heavy handedness that the Chinese are exhibiting in their dealings with these uh, subject nations. I call them incipient captive nations. Um, the Chinese seem to be doubling down uh, to make sure that they actually can take control of uh, those infrastructure assets. Um, again, doesn't that create international security repercussions that could be very problematic for this country, among others. Well, in the latter half of 2014, a Chinese submarine docked at the Chinese-funded Colombo International Container Terminal in Sri Lanka. Uh, and uh, Sri Lanka has uh, been in focus because uh, after that, uh, China took basically full control of the Hanbantota port in Sri Lanka um, because Sri Lanka couldn't pay back the terms of the Hanbantota loan they got uh, something like a 70% equity in the facility plus a 99-year lease. And you can see that that's going to end up being a military facility of some port, uh, such, of some kind. Uh, this is going to be replicated around the world. It already is, as I mentioned, in Djibouti. Um, and so um, when we think about Belt and Road projects in our home hemisphere, we have to think about Chinese military bases very close to us. And, and this is this is something where countries are really being coerced into it. It's not of their own 
free will, they say, oh yeah, let's have the Chinese Navy in our country. What's occurring is um, because of these Belt and Road loans, they really have very little choice but to accede to what Beijing wants in terms of renegotiation of them. Very problematic indeed. Gordon, I want to continue our conversation in terms of what the Chinese military is up to more generally. On the other side of a short break, we'll be right back with Gordon Chang after this. <laughs> 